0: You're listening to Christianity 101, a Sunday school series taught by the elders and deacons of Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com.
1: We're going to get started. So I'll tell you a little story before we get started, how I got here. Um, So probably about a month, month and a half ago, I had a lot of time to prepare for this study. Um, and I'm glad I did because I did all kinds of reading and, and podcast, and lecture listening, and then I started writing. I had a probably a good ten pages of body, and then I started having conversations with some uh, some ministers, and they uh, were asking me what my lesson was about, and I I said, well, all this and this and this, and and then as the conversation progressed, they said. Do you know what heaven is? And and I said, Oh geez, this doesn't this doesn't sound good. <laughs> I, said, I said, what do you mean? Because I'm thinking I got a pretty good handle on it at this point. <laughs> yeah. And the, the question being asked was um, almost satirical, it was or ironic. It was to point out that we really don't have a clear grasp on heaven, Um, we have some direction and some ideas, and so I had a lot of rewriting to do anyway. um, So it's a future thing, and so we're going to see, hopefully in the lesson, we get um, the big idea is... We don't really know, but we do know some things. So, I started off um, with a little poem. It's cheesy. Pardon me, but that's, uh, that's what happens. It's not my poem. I didn't write it. <laughs> it just sets the tone. Uh, okay, what happens in heaven? Will I sit on a cloud? Is walking or talking or jumping aloud? Will I be on my own or with some good friends? Does it go on forever or eventually end? What happens in heaven? Will I play a harp string? I can't play piano. I can't even sing. That I could say about myself. What happens in heaven? Are the streets paved with gold? Is it crowded with people who are incredibly old? What happens in heaven? Do I go through a gate? What if I get myself lost or turn up too late? So this morning as we talked about heaven, we have questions. And I hope that I have some answers. And some of your questions are probably very similar to the questions posed in that poem. Maybe we have done our own research, um, read a book or two on the subject. There are actually a lot of books on heaven on the market these days. The truth is that that poem could go on for many, many more verses, asking hundreds of more questions. I doubt we could ever satisfy our curiosity about heaven and its many mysteries. Let me say right up front... I have not been there, and come back to tell about it. (laughs) Yeah, no malarkey here. (laughs) Um, I have not had a vision, even, or a dream, nor did I read a book with a title that proposed that heaven is in fact real. I did not go there and see my great-great-grandmother, or yours either, for that matter. No matter what, or so, No what I hope to communicate to you this morning is not my personal view of heaven. Because a personal view of heaven is a guess at best, and there is likely very little truth and very little profit in speculation. So how do we come to establish God's truth about spiritual things, and especially spiritual future things? If we want to avoid speculation about heaven, the said future thing, we should... And we must first understand how scripture teaches us to think about the mysteries of God, often called the wisdom of God. The relevant passage for this is First Corinthians two nine. Actually I'm gonna pause. There's some scripture I was supposed to set up uh, for people to read. So somebody could grab First Corinthians two nine. will get that, Joanne. Thank you. We also have Revelation five twelve. <coughs> For me, thank you. And then Revelation 6, 9, Acts 17, 31. Justin wants to get Revelation 21, 27. And then we'll have Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. So, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Okay. And then, but God has revealed them unto well, ten. that might be ten. Oh, sorry.
0: But God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the yeah. Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God.
1: The so spiritual things are not like physical things. The tangible physical objects can be handled, touched, observed. We can see them and wrap our minds around them because they're here with us. We're familiar with them. We have a reference point. As for spiritual things, look at what Paul says in the verse right before 9 and 10. Verse 8. Which one of the princes of this world knew? For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In this verse, Paul is saying that the Scriptures clearly revealed that Jesus was the chosen one of Israel, the Messiah. And we would all easily understand that to be true today. It's the plainest thing for us to say. Just read Isaiah 53. Even the heathens can see it. However, Nicodemus, one of the most learned men in Israel at the time, before the resurrection, could not understand the plain teachings of Jesus. What verse 8 and 9 are explaining to us is a sort of spiritual hindsight problem that we all suffer from due to our fallenness. Remember when Jesus asked the disciples who he was? Peter said rightly, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then what did Jesus say? Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And then Peter goes on to put his foot in his mouth. So, what did he really understand? <laughs> God's wisdom is hidden to us to some degree, except it be revealed through the Holy Spirit. It is not revealed to us with our eyes. Beauty surrounds us in nature everywhere we look. Who hasn't stared in awe at the snow-capped mountains, whether in real life or in the pages of the National Geographic, or been inspired by a valley of wildflowers or a field of sunflowers? Or what about the bliss that we see any time we're at the water's edge? Or I thought about you, Pastor, on a fishing boat looking out, at the expanse of the ocean. Not to mention the wonder to be found in the variety of the creatures that you could fish for, <laughs> or in all these places. Even the landscape at the in the most arid desert or barren tundra is enough to take your breath away when we take the time to notice it. We spend thousands of dollars on travel to go to the most exotic and unique places in the world just to gaze on the wonders of God's creation. But if we think about it, we could just look up into the sky and see powerful storm formations and the warming tones of the summer sunset. The earth is filled with his glory. Not to mention the spectacular night sky. With its milky way and distant galaxies, it's just stunning and some would even say sublime. I've recently heard that the ancients used to believe that the stars were just holes in the floorboards of heaven where the, where the boards are nailed down and the glory of heaven leaks down into our realm. But even in all this, all this beauty, the eye has not seen. We have not seen what heaven will be like. Think back to the garden. Remember, Genesis tells us that all the trees there were pleasant to the eye and good for eating, yet they were still tempted to eat that which God had told them was forbidden. It's easy to think that heaven will be like Eden. In fact, some cults teach that that exact thing, that heaven is going to be just like Eden. But one thing we can be sure of, that the prayer that Christ taught His disciples to pray will be realized. The Father's kingdom in heaven... The Father's kingdom will come to earth. Things on earth will be done as they are in heaven. We will have our daily bread and we will not be led into temptation because the Lord will have delivered us from evil. There was evil even in the garden. What about those sweet delights, though, that we can enjoy through our ears? Sometimes the things we hear can move us in emotion and stir our souls. And I know we don't dance because we're Baptists and dance with these babies.
0: <laughs>
1: but it's remarkable that even our babies, without any instruction, will begin to wiggle when a good hand-clapping song fills the ear. This kind of sound can produce a great sense of joy in our heart. Other sounds, like a good orchestra or powerful choir, can make us weep for joy or sadness, depending on the tune. Sometimes I can make people cry when I'm singing. I'm not sure, though, if it's for joy or for sadness. No, that's not true. I know. Sometimes we aren't listening to music or tones. Sometimes we're hearing an epic story being told, where the author takes us on an adventure, or listening to some poetry, where the words conjure images so clear and profound it feels like we can reach out and grasp them. But it's not so with the mysteries of God, of God's wisdom, heaven being one of them. Remember, it says no ear has heard. And So what are the sounds that echo where the Lord is? We got Bernie with Revelation 5.12. Yep. In a loud voice, millions
0: and millions of angels were saying, The Lamb who was put to death is worthy. He is worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength. He is worthy to receive honor
1: and glory and praise. Amen. Amen. This is the glorious praise of the Lamb of Heaven, who has been proven worthy, but who has not yet consummated His kingdom. Reading on in the next chapter, Revelation 6-9, tells us that John heard the voice of the martyrs. Charlie.
2: When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony of the
1: Sorry, keep crying. Er, <clears> and they cried <clears throat> <clears throat>
2: with a loud voice, saying, How long, Lord, holy and true, until we judge and avenge of our blood on those who dwell on the
1: earth? We can see that the martyrs are still waiting for something the justice God has promised has not been executed. That would place this scene before the final judgment of the Lamb. Many theologians would make a distinction here calling what has been spoken of in these chapters as sort of an intermediate heaven. Where should we die before Christ's return, we would, as believers, be translated into the presence of God, but yet awaiting the final resurrection and consummation of all things. Similar... To when Joshua and Israel entered the Promised Land, they had yet the kingdom to establish. They still had to actually remove the idolatrous people in the land, and they still had to make it their home. At the same time, the account of Israel taking the Promised Land is a picture of God's judgment on the immorality and idolatry of the Canaanite people. God used Israel as an instrument to deliver judgment to the Canaanite nations and the final judgment will be executed by the Lamb before the establishment of the eternal, final heaven. So, Eric, read Acts 7, 31.
2: 17, 31? Yep. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead.
1: Thank you, So that's our hope, and that will happen and make heaven possible. If you want to read more about that, Revelation 19 is a good place to start. I only bring up these passages to notice that a distinction needs to be held between what Jesus said to the man dying on the cross beside him, today you will be with me in paradise, and the distinction between that and what is our eternal blessed hope. The believers at rest today, we may believe, are in heaven, but not in their final resting place, our future home. It's like going on a flight to Australia and departing from Detroit. There's going to be a layover somewhere along the way, and even if you have a layover in L.A., if someone asks you where you're going, you're probably going to answer Australia. I found that to be a helpful way to picture how we're going to make it there. Today, all of the dead are in some sort of transitional state, awaiting their final destination. So far, I hope we can all say and believe with confidence that when we get to heaven, we will not be cherubs playing harps while lounging in the clouds. Like pastor said last week, there may be no Philly cream cheese either. So, right, I say maybe, maybe. The point I'm laboring so very long about is that we cannot imagine the glories of heaven, at least not in our flesh, because no eye is seen or ear heard. Some would talk about heaven as that place where we go to have all of our desires fulfilled, or place where all our wishes come true. I mean, we could argue that Jesus does describe the afterlife as paradise. But is this a right conception of heaven? I would say no, not in our current state. Adam in sin. All of our hopes and wildest dreams are at odds with God's holiness. So unless our desires are God's desires, unless our wishes conform to God's will, then our idea of paradise is warped. We have all heard pagan or Muslim depictions of paradise, where all the indulgences of sinful flesh are promoted and desired in the afterlife. This simply doesn't work in a biblical view. Heaven. In heaven we will not be given over to indulgence and excess, over indulgence and excess, and in the pursuits of the flesh. Sin will have been judged, and the church will be presented to Christ as a bride pure and spotless. In the description of the new Jerusalem, which is the church, the bride of Christ, Revelation twenty-one, twenty-seven, Justin has that.
0: Whoever at the bottom for making a the day which are lifted in
1: the land for the light. Heaven will be a holy place, not a sensual one. After working so hard to establish the point that we cannot imagine heaven, there are a few texts in scripture that sketch or attempt to sketch some of the incomprehensible mysteries we hope for So Revelation 21 from Pastor uh, 1 to 4 yeah.
2: And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for so the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the Holy of New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all fear from their eyes, And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away.
1: Amen. So in there, first we see that old is passing away. This falls right in line with what we've already learned about heaven not being comparable to our current reality. It's going to be completely different. The word for new used there in the Greek carries the idea of being new in nature, essence or quality, not just new in time. So everything will change. changed. And the line, there was no longer any scene, that could be symbolic of many things. Some commenters said that it symbolized death and chaos and mystery and danger. Others understand it as being a reference to Gentiles, that in the new heaven and earth there would be no longer any that are ignorant of Christ. And everyone in the new city would obviously know Christ. And then we see a description of the new Jerusalem, the new city of God, the city being where God dwells. And that is us. Mm. And our hope is that, and that is our hope. Mm. We believe this because throughout the New Testament, believers are referred to as the bride of Christ. Notice especially what it says about the bride beautifully prepared, and dressed for her husband, we will be made ready by wearing the robe of righteousness provided by the sacrifice of the Lamb. The new city, the bride, is where God will live. He will dwell with us, which has been the hope and theme of all of Scripture, accomplished by the divine work of the Trinity and revealed to us only by the Spirit. And we're going to take a look also at John's vision of his bride. Um, verse 9 of Revelation 21. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God It shone with the glory of God. its brilliance was like that of precious jewels and jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall and twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the name of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the name of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Skipping down to verse 21... Twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its Lamb. So the temptation we have here is to see this as a description of just a city where the people will live. That cannot be. city is truly the bride of Christ. The city being described is the church with God dwelling in it. This is the church's final glorification and union with Christ. This passage draws upon many Old Testament themes. We're probably more familiar ourselves in the context of our experience in the church in the fellowship of the gospel with our brothers and sisters this text is pointing out to us that the church as it should be today is our best idea of what heaven will be like albeit in the foggiest and most minuscule way pastors often said that the church done well is the sweetest thing this side of heaven love for one another fellowship in the gospel, the closeness with one another, the support and cooperation we enjoy, the removal of the cultural and social barriers we experience in the church, and the gathering of the saints in worship, all these things point by the Spirit to the reality of heaven to come. It made me happy to know that after the class we will sit together at the Lord's Supper, which is another type or shadow of the heavenly bliss we look forward to where Christ is pictured, offered up for the life of the church. And if you want to know anything about heaven, embrace and invest in the life of the church. Mm-hmm. Remember that cheesy poem we read at the beginning of the lesson, asking what heaven would be like? It actually did have a final stanza, and it read, Is my name on a list? Is the gatekeeper nice? Can you sneak in for nothing, or is there a price? Mm-hmm. I don't know who the author was of that poem, but I hope that his questions got answered because there is a steep price on heaven and there is no sneaking in. But by his Spirit, it can be revealed to us that Christ has already paid. And finally, to sum it up, God has created all things with one end in mind. Ephesians 1, 9-10 having been made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, at the very end of all things, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him. And a quote from Dr. Michael Horton. In short, this is what we're waiting for. The return of Christ to raise the dead, judge the nations, and lead us with creation in his train into the everlasting glory of the age to come. So with the Apostle Paul, we can say, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And we can join in prayer with John in the concluding words of the Bible. Even so, come... Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. 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 And then that is everything I have written down. But if there are any questions, I think we have time for that.
0: Yeah, I think the point that that is being
2: made, and we can't forget this, is that heaven is the presence of Christ. He will be our God. And we will be His people, and we will rejoice in His great truth. Amen. Eric. I think too, when we can use heaven as an evangelistic tool, and, and one of the greatest questions, you know, to ask on, on, on the unbelievers, if you were to die today, you know, for sure you would go to heaven. And it's a good question for discussion. And your subject, obviously, you know, is heaven is a goal that
1: everybody Right. And
2: then the question also is, do you know for sure? And that, thats a whole conversation as well. And you mentioned the calls, and they don't know for sure. They're—they're they're working mm-hmm. to achieve by their merits. Right. And you know, having a reward for doing the work. Right. So that's, thats not. No. And, and, you know, the argument is we have it
1: now. Right. Yes, we have it now in some sense and more later. Right? We haven't saved, we're being saved and we will be saved. Yeah. Dan? I just
0: think when um, jesus says if you've seen me you've seen the father and when we see you know we have the mind of christ and when we see christ in the scripture and we see his spirit working in us like the more you want to be with the father and it's just like it's unreal and it's to think that we would be in the presence of god one day is like the more that you see that the more you want to be there and it's Right. Yeah. It's terrifying but at the same time
1: it's it's what you want to do, so Yeah, I didn't talk much about the terrifying nature of God. <laughs> I left that for Justin last week or two weeks ago with help. Carolyn. Uh, 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 Happiness home. Jesus is there. We'll be we changed to be like him. there'll be
2: the fullness of joy. We can't even imagine No. lies I Everyone will love the Lord Jesus. We won't be in a
1: world that denies him. It'll be wonderful. Like, one of the questions, talking with somebody this week about things, um, they kind of said, and this is a common thing I've heard lots, is we worry that we'll get bored. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and we have no concept... Like, what was it, Rolling Stones back in the 60s? I can't get no satisfaction. Like, we don't know what that word means, you know? And so it's really hard to express a sense of satisfaction that is coming because half the time we don't even know what we want or what we need. So, Paul? Yeah, I was just
0: thinking about... The verse that says, uh, "No eye has seen, nor ear heard, or the heart of man to imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him." Then it says, "These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit." Right. You know, and I think of the times when I'm, say I'm sitting in church, and I, I get overwhelmed by yeah. the, um, the unity, by the love, by the, um, you know, in, in my spirit, more, yeah. and more so than yes. You know, the reality of it. Or, right. Or when I'm.
1: Yeah. It's not an intellectual thing. Yeah, it's it's like, not a tangible thing. Yeah, it's something, it's beyond. something else. And it's really hard to put our finger on it. Yes. By the
0: Spirit working those majesties in our life. Just
1: Right. Yeah. There was lots that could be said, even about the resurrection body. I read some things and, um, you know, there's a definite sense in which we have a little bit of an example from Christ and the time spent in the resurrection after with the apostles. But the thing that I find so interesting about that is like we think, oh, you know, we know what it would be like because it'll be just like us, just better. So he walked through walls and then at the same time probably had footprints in the sand. And so, like, there's just no, we can't, we can't understand. Because they saw him and they didn't recognize him. And when they recognized him is when he explained the scriptures to them. And that's when they knew who he was. So, that's where we have to be informed. And... Um, that's why the scriptures are so important.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I just, with the, like, I don't know how many books. I didn't look. I was. I planned on looking on Amazon just to see how many books there are on heaven, just to see the, all the people claiming they've been there, and, um, you know, it's it's a danger, and we want to have some of our curiosity satisfied, but I think. We have to be happy with right now what God has given us.
0: Yeah, you know the Bible says don't go beyond what's written. Right. You know, and uh, I was just reading in Romans about the, the Israel the Israelites, you know, and they and they expected a kingdom that Christ would come, the Messiah would come and, and, and set up a rule over everything. Mm-hmm. And when that wasn't who Jesus was, they rejected him. And then so they right. rejected their king and and weren't the people that God expected them to be going out into all the nations and preaching the gospel. They were rejected, you know. Because they had they they didn't
1: read what scripture said about the Messiah. Well but that's what I'm saying, they did. But it's like it's hindsight. Yeah. We can't see what God is telling until it's finally revealed in our spirit. Yeah. That's because right. like they have the same scriptures we're reading from yeah. and they didn't get it. We can read Isaiah fifty three and say, how, how do you not? You read that to somebody who's never spent a day in church and they're like, Oh, that's talking about Jesus. It's clear. But they didn't couldn't see it. Yeah.
2: What about
1: Elijah when he went up to heaven? What about Elijah when he went up to heaven? He
2: didn't
1: die, did he? That, it doesn't tell us that he died. It says that he walked with God and was not. And um, I did actually read into that a little bit. And what it seemed like, because in the context of Enoch, it's basically in like a genealogy, it's like this man lived and then he died and this man lived and then he died. And I think what that part is kind of illustrating is that Enoch was with God and so he went to be with God. And the other men is like they I think it's implying that they lived their own way and they died. They lived their own way, and he died. Because everybody in that chapter, and that's uh, Genesis four, I believe, right after the fall, we see rebellion. God promising death from rebellion, and then um, we see everybody succumbing to death, except for Enoch that walked with God. And I wish we had more on that and what that looked like. But,
0: but the scripture also says it as a point of what. Man wants to die, and then the judgment. So we know that 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 is part of part of humanity. Humanity, right? Yeah. So as much as what it looks like, right? There's still there's still God's way of dealing with man, right? Someday God will explain that to us. Yeah. (laughs) I hope.
1: We probably
0: won't (laughs) care. Right. Right. What, what do you think that the church should do with with the rewards that are talked about in heaven? Do you think they should be talking about that stuff and like the does it now? The Bible doesn't talk about rewards and heaven. Yes. crowns, and, and
1: crowns. my
0: father's house, or many mansions, because some places don't they talk about heaven a lot in that sense, like rewards, and, and what you're doing now, and this is what, mm-hmm. you know, and I always wondered about that, like should should we use that as a motivator, like in the church, or?
1: I think it can be encouraging, definitely, yeah. um, but I think we see at the end all the believers laying down their crowns, and Um, at the feet of the one who deserves it.
0: Because
1: we know that all of our good works... I mean, if I do a good work in a day, it was probably by accident, and I didn't even realize it. I'm serious. We don't don't even know how wicked we are. Um, How can a believer be, you know, walking with the Lord for 60 years, and, and... still think they're wicked because they just see it more and more. And they didn't see it before. And that's being constantly revealed to us by the Spirit as well. So, yeah, definitely can be a motivator. But seeing it in the full perspective is helpful too. Eric?
2: I think the analogy with even our current church right now in the city is a good analogy where... We all have gifts, and our individual gifts are tainted with our sins. That's what you're saying. Mm -hmm. But in heaven, I think they're going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. They're going
0: to
1: work. I'd like to believe we're going to continue to work together. You know, the Maple City crowd. Absolutely. I mean, if there's one thing about it, it's going to be full and final... And there won't be any need anymore.
2: But the point I was saying, just to finish off. Yeah. Thank you. We're we're still going to have some fantastic work to do. It's not going to be boring. It's yeah. going to be exciting. Uh, we'll have direct direction from the King. Yes. And we'll and we'll be needing to work together.
1: Yeah. There there's lots of talk in Revelation about ruling kingdoms mm-hmm. and God's kingdom established on earth and. Well, if there's a king, then there are servants, and if there are servants, there are things being done. And it's all going to be done to the worship and glory of the Lamb. And, yeah. All those things I did hope to eventually get to, but ran out of time. Yeah, I'm glad we had so many good questions and comments. But, um, it's, if everybody's fine, we'll pray and, uh, Prepare for the Lord's Supper.